we need to really be less risk averse when it comes to investing in developing countries and uh, somewhere somehow to realize that things will not be a repeat of the past. Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Maktar Diop, Managing Director of the International Finance Corporation. He'll talk about the economy in 2023, innovative financing to tackle the food crisis, and what he hopes moves forward at this year's annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. We are entering an era where you will have important choices that society will have to make to be able to keep things sustainable, to address the issue of inclusion. At the end of the day, a political question and a question that require a consensus. The annual meeting is nearly here. The event, like no other, one drawing top leaders from business, government, and civil society, comes again this week to the Magic Mountain, as it has for more than five decades. Our last meeting had been delayed by the pandemic and was finally held in warm and sunny May. But attendees this year will find that we are back to big coats, big boots, and icy, snowy January. They'll also find that some of the world's biggest problems are still stubbornly in place. Problems like economic disruption, the food crisis, an energy crisis, and a pandemic that we have learned to accept but that is nowhere near eradicated. This year's theme is cooperation in a fragmented world, reminding us how much we can solve together. Maktar Diop, Managing Director of the International Finance Corporation, will talk to us about an innovative funding initiative that won't just help the millions who suffer from acute hunger or food insecurity, but a number of other overlapping crises as well, helping to leverage cooperation for a true multiplier effect. He'll also share what themes he thinks will shape the economy this year and the questions leaders should be asking themselves and their teams. He'll talk about all of this. But first, he'll kick us off with more on the IFC's global security platform, what it is and why it is so important. This is an important initiative because it allows us to to help people respond to this food crisis. The the main point is that the global food crisis requires long-term solution and not quick fixes. We need to really address, take that opportunity to address the structural issue faced by, by countries. We know that today, because of inflation, we might have more than 120 million people into, into poverty, and that will be some things that uh, affect and slow down the growth that all these countries have made in the past year. And most of the basket consumption in, in the poorest country, in particular in Africa, is linked to food. So when f- food prices are rising, it affects uh, immensely the poor. If you take that and the cost of energy, we have the two main elements which are affecting the income of the poorest. That's why we are trying to address the supply side of it. In fact, uh, we can increase the production of food in part of the world that need most of it. We have put in place an initiative, uh, which is a global food security platform of $6 billion, which allows us to accelerate the preparation and approval of our project linked to food in, uh, in developing countries. We are doing it to increase fertilizer supply in a poor country. We are doing it to increase access to seed quality. What we are doing also is to increase trade among countries to make sure that the excess supply of of food in some 
part of, of the world is made available in other parts of the world which are in need. And it's very obvious in Africa, where unfortunately, inter-Africa trade doesn't have all the financial needs, means to be able to sustain the level of exchange that are needed to be able to address those issues. So this is what we are, we are, we are doing. And already we have committed in the last three quarters $1 billion around that, which have allowed companies to increase their production in the food supply. Do you think that people generally maybe don't realize the power that sort of innovative financing solutions can have on battling big problems like food insecurity? In fact, people don't realize that a lot of the countries where you have still a potential land available, water available, are often stressed countries or in conflict countries and where it's not easy to attract foreign direct investment. And this country themselves don't have a lot of savings that they can put in investment in those sectors. So what is the role of IFC? So IFC, we are present in all these countries. We know the, the, the reality of this country, and we can structure a project which gives confidence to investors to come and put their money. And when they do that, they realize actually the return are very, very high when they, when they invest in this part of the world. So they can, at the same time, help addressing this crisis, this food crisis, but also get high return. But on top of it, we are also doing it in a way which is sustainable. There is a possibility in those countries to do smart agriculture, to use a renewable energy when we try to produce good, and also to use to have this country exporting some of the of the critical element needed to increase food production. One of them is fertilizer. Today we are working with a company in Morocco, which is one of the leaders in the world, to increase the production throughout the African continent of fertilizer using, you know, in, some, in the future, green hydrogen, using fertilizers, which will allow them to, be, to have a much better quality in the supply of fertilizers. But to do that, often investors want to de-risk their investment. So we have a window at the World Bank Group, which is called the private sector window, uh, IDA, which is grant money, which is made available to de-risk, uh, to take the first losses that some of the investors could have in those countries so that we incentivize them to invest in agriculture, which is often a risky sector, but more importantly, in countries which are seen as fragile. Assuming all of these things get grow and scale even over maybe the next 10, 15 years, what do you think is the before and after that could be made possible? What would food insecurity look like maybe in a decade or more? Maybe how would we have helped tackle this problem? Uh, you mean that the, most of the food that can be produced in those countries is produced in those countries, not imported? Let's uh, give you some ideas. The main element in the balance of payment of these countries, the deficit, is the import of, of food product, fertilizer, and energy product. If they didn't have a comparative advantage to produce it, you can understand it. But they have a potential to produce it at a cost which is totally competitive vis-à-vis imports. So it means that we'll have a much better macroeconomic situation, more reserve for this country. But at the same time, we'll be having more income for the poorest in the society, in the society which is often located in the rural area. But also for people living in cities with a more productive agricultural sector, you'll be able to lower the price of food and reduce the cost of living for people living in, in cities. If at the same time, in the rest of the world, where countries which are producing much more, like in Latin America, in Europe, or in the U.S., people can do better on food waste and be able to have a supply chain which is much more sustainable. We will be able to feed the world 
and really improve a people's life. You mean what? It means life expectancy, which will be increasing in these poor countries. It means people, more kids going to school, kids improving their learning, improving their learning capability because they will not be hungry when they go to school. All these are elements that we are seeing and that's the future that I'm seeing when we are talking about investing in the agricultural sector. One of the themes for this year's annual meeting is cooperation in a fragmented world. How will partnerships and collaboration and cooperation need to evolve in order to make, you know, to, to really scale and grow things like your financing program? What else needs to be put in place to make this even more successful? Absolutely. I think that you, you touched a very important point. And I, let me talk about what happened in, in the climate change space. In COP21, where I was, it was a long time ago, but in the discussion on COP21, it was mainly the public sector and NGOs. NGOs were doing advocacy, and the public sector uh, believes that they have all the solutions in hand to be able to address this huge crisis. Fast forward, COP26, uh, we have a different picture in Glasgow. People start realizing that the level of investment and the magnitude of the challenge is such that we need to mobilize resources from the capital market for the private investors. But to do that, we realize also that they cannot do it on their own because, as I said, you need to de-risk investment. We need to attract them in places where we still have a possibility of investing in agriculture or in other sectors. That's why foundations, which are becoming an increasing part of the ecosystem, have realized also that the grants that they are providing to countries are not really having the impact that they could have if they, if they were teaming up with institutions like ours, like the capital market, like finances, and they risk their investment. So the trend that we are seeing now is to have foundation, to have development finance institution, to have a, a private sector working together, and each of them trying to use what they are bringing at the table to increase overall impact. And for us, it means having more grant money to be able to de-risk investments that we will bring in all these sectors that are needed, being renewable energy, being of new technology like green hydrogen, being increasing the food supply, being increasing the industrialization of some part of the world. The point that I'm making here is that uh, the supply chain has been very disrupted during the last two, three years. We need also to have a geographical distribution of the supply chain. And for lower income countries, this is an opportunity to be more integrated in the world market and the world supply chain. When it comes to the global economy in 2023, what do you think in your position, what do you think people aren't talking about nearly enough that they should be? We need to reinforce the conversation on trade. We have seen a tendency to increase uh, uh, non-tariff barriers in, uh, in, in the world. And, and that creates a, a, a situation where the lower-income countries, the poorest in the world, are not benefiting from the productivity growth that we have in the world. So put, again, trade at the center of what we are talking about. Secondly, we need to take that opportunity to, to make some structural changes in some of these economies, which has the potential of being a much bigger part of the world economy and reduce, really, poverty. For instance, if you talk about Africa, for ages, people have been talking about Africa potential in terms of agricultural production. They have water, they have arable land. That discussion has been going on for, for decades. Why is not happening and what can we do now, today, to change this situation? What can we do to have all the, the production of mining products in the poorest country instead of them just exporting it and not having the value addition that is needed? So those, those kind of things are the questions that we are having now are being discussed 
And I think that these current crises that we are in give us an opportunity to think about that. But lastly, we have an opportunity to do it in a very sustainable way. And, uh, and we are uh, putting a lot of effort at IFC to push the climate change agenda. We are one third of our investment climate change related. So it's a priority to us and we will be increasing that share. So this is what I see, a world which is more sustainable, where we use all the instruments that we have to de-risk investment and put bring more investment in the poorest country and the more fragile country, and third, more trade among countries. As we look at this year ahead, what, what sort of gives you pause? What are your areas of concern? The things you're like, oh gosh, these are the things we need to keep an eye on. Obviously, conflict is an, is an important part of the conversation. When we are in a situation of war is another reality. The war in Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine is having an impact on the world economy, but it's not the only conflict. We have other places where you have conflict. We need also to help countries which are receiving refugees. We have a lot of countries where you have crises linked to refugees which are not spoken enough. That's why we have built this partnership with UNHCR, the UN Refugee Institution, to be able to bring private sector investment in the camp where you have refugees because those are very vulnerable. So find solutions also which are most sustainable for this situation because I've seen an increase of internally displaced people and refugees with this conflict. So the second is to start really, and that's the work of the politicians, to build the consensus around some of the reforms that will need to be made because we are entering an era where you will have important choices that society will have to make to be able to keep things sustainable, to address issue of inclusion, to address issue of inequality. And that requires, and that's a very specific to each country, the way they will address it, because it's, at the end of the day, a political question and a, and a, and a question that requires consensus. So as a question that keeps me awake at night, how each country we are working with will be able to find that equilibrium, that specific path that is relevant and sees a uh, uh, adapted to their own reality to be able to reach the targets that we are, have set. Last, let's not forget that we are still have the SDGs as target and we haven't made the progress that we would like to make on SDGs globally. Let's put it back center of our conversation. Uh, you talked a little bit about what sort of keeps you up at night. What gives you hope for the next year? What gives me hope is that uh, the resilience of people. I mean, we have seen uh, two major and massi- massive episodes in the, the world, the, the invasion of Ukraine, the war, the COVID-19 crisis. All these are massive shocks that we have never, never envisaged in, uh, before. And in spite of it, the world is still resilient. I just came back from my own country, Senegal. I see how people are resilient in spite of all these. So it means that, you know, with the right reforms and the right measures and the right coordination internationally, we can really make progress and be able to tackle them. In spite of these difficult times, some progress have been made by some countries in electricity access. To accelerate this progress, the world needs to really put much more resources towards less advanced countries. We need to, to, to really be less risk averse when it comes to investing in developing countries and somewhere, somehow to realize that things will not be a repeat of the past. This crisis is an opportunity to change fundamentally and structurally the role of some of the countries in the world economy and to make sure that developing countries are an integral part of the supply chain and have given an opportunity to increase the value addition of the products that are generating in their economy. 
You mentioned that we're reaching an era where many leaders are going to have to make some really key choices and make some really important decisions. What do you hope that leaders prioritize at this year's annual meeting and also when they go back to their businesses, their organizations, their countries? You know, What uh, should they be thinking about as they go and move towards those big choices? Now more than ever, we need to bring the support to the less developed countries. If the more advanced countries are feeling the effect of this crisis, picture what it means for people who are already poor in those countries. So we have one of the big messages that we need to continue providing all the financial aid and support that is needed by developing countries to bring more grant money that will allow us to leverage more private sector to invest in those countries. Let's give also more access to market to those countries and let's bring investment in the least developed country that allow a geographical distribution of the supply chain because there is a possibility to transform structurally economies in the least developed country. I'm thinking about Africa, I'm thinking about South Asia or the part of the world. That was Maktar Diop. Thanks to him and thanks so much to you for listening. A transcript of this episode and my colleagues' episodes, Radio Davos and the Book Club podcast, is available at wef.ch slash podcasts. Our digital content team will be on the ground in Davos all week, and the podcast team will be once again recording from our beautiful booth in the Nerve Center, the Congress Center. Listen for Meet the Leaders featuring top names from the summit, and do not miss my colleague Robin Pomeroy's Davos Daily Podcast, breaking down the can't-miss highlights from every big session and every big name. This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me with Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day.